Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. We are in lesson 18. Uh, the series is Unshaken, Standing Strong No Matter What. And we've covered a whole lot of things. We've started, sort of made our way through Genesis on. And now we are in 2 Kings chapter 6. The Kings are a cool passage, you know, sort of First and Second Kings as you hit the story of Elijah. And then Elijah picked us, God told him to go and find Elisha, his successor. And Elisha's ministry covers 2 Kings. And so last week we talked about one story, one miracle that Elisha did. And today we're going to look at another. And it's a fascinating story. I'm going to read you the passage. It's, it's a story of Elisha against the king of Syria. Now remember, Elisha is a, is a man from Israel. And Israel at this time is divided into the northern kingdom Israel and the southern Judah. And they each have a different king. And this happened after King David and then his son Solomon. After Solomon, Rehoboam, that's when the kingdom split. And it's because the kings were not, they were unfaithful to God. And God had made a promise to David that he would never remove the kingdom from him. So God faithfully kept his promise, even though the people of Israel were no longer faithful. God remained faithful. He kept that kingdom going for the promise that he had made to David. And then we see all these kings that would come. And if you ever have read through Chronicles, for instance, you'll read in very like quick succession, like there's another king, there's another king. And it was like son, the grandson, son, you know, like all these, the legacy. And out of the blue, you'd get a great king like Josiah. Even Jehoshaphat started off good. Hezekiah was a great king. But then you get these awful kings like Manasseh and Rehoboam and others, Jerob, Jehoram. And, and, and some are confusing. Like to this day, I just don't, I always have to Google and look. Was this a good king or a bad king? So Elisha comes and during his time, he actually was a prophet in Israel for a long time. And the kingdom, so so he comes right after, like as Ahab was king, and then Ahab's son, Jehoram, I think it's Jeroam, something like that. I think it's written as two different ones in, in the scriptures. But that king was not a good king. Of course, Ahab was a very evil king. Later, there would be Jehu, which, which Elisha anointed to be king, and he was a good king. So during the time of Elisha, there were good kings and bad kings. And and it's interesting because um, in this passage, I'm not quite sure. I think it's, this is the king before Jehu. So I think it's Joram. And so it's, but we're not told the names. In fact, we're not told who the servant is. I'm going to give you some theories in a minute. But the story is about Elisha and his servant and uh, the king of Syria. Now, Syria was the enemy of Israel. 
right? And so a lot of what's happening in the Middle East now, I'm Lebanese, it's funny because you see a lot of the Syria against Israel, it's continuing. Like a lot of the stuff that started thousands of years ago, it's continuing now. And so there's a lot of tensions in the Middle East. And we shouldn't be surprised because the story of the world is the story of the Bible and it's continuing. And someday there will be peace. And so it's just fascinating to see how scripture unfolds into the modern day life that we're leading now. But but back then, the same tensions, it says in verse uh, 8 of 2 Kings 6, once... When the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, and this is what he said, beware that you do not pass this place for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, thus he, Elisha, used to warn him, the king of Israel, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. Okay, so, so the king of Syria wanted to raid Israel. You got that, right? Elisha had visions from God and prophecies, and he would go to the king of Israel, even though the king of Israel was not a godly king, God had remained faithful to the people of Israel. And I think there's a lot of encouragement in that. We're living in days where sometimes it's easy to look at a country or at a people or at a, you know, and even at the church and be like, man, there's there so many pockets in the church where you go, I don't see the faithfulness that used to be there 100 years ago. And yet God is so faithful to his people. Not, I'm not talking about the American people, but to his, maybe he is faithful to America. I'm not going to touch that. I'm too smart to do that. But I do believe God remains faithful to his people who have called themselves by his name, even when we are faithless, okay? And again, it's easy to look around us and be like, man, how could God help us anymore? We've forgotten who he is. And yet, it is God's faithfulness that continues to deliver us, much like back in, of course, 2 Kings 6, the setting is the king of Israel was making bad choices, but God was still faithful and protecting Israel against the enemy Syria. Now, it, it goes on, the story. The mind of the king of Syria, in verse 11, was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? He assumed the obvious that there was a spy uh, sort of uh, telling Israel, the king, what was the plan for attack? Because every time they go to attack, it was like they were, it was like there was nobody to attack. And, and, and one of the servants said in verse 12, none, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. That's awesome. This is how God works. You don't need to get a note in the mail. God will reveal to you what you need to know in the time you need to know it. And so verse 13, the king of Israel said, go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he, the king of Syria, sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now understand, Elisha's just a prophet. He's not a soldier. He's like a regular man. He, he's not even, like a lot, prophets don't even have any training in army. He does, certainly doesn't need an entire army from the king of Syria, but the king of Syria is just sick of this guy, and he wants to take him out because he's ruining his, his strategies to go in, and, 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 and just to back up just a little, I'm going to pick back the reading in 2 Kings 6, but at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, it wasn't just Elisha, it was Elisha and a number of men of God. In fact, the first few verses of Elisha were told that the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us get there a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. 
And he said, go. So Elisha had a, sort of like a Bible training school. It wasn't a Bible training school, but, but you'd call it that. So he had a bunch of prophets that he was training. And so he was leaving a legacy by discipling others. And so they had grown and the space where they were was small. So they had moved to Dothan to build a space. So here's Elisha with a bunch of prophets. Like imagine some seminary students. Like these guys, I'm sorry if you're a seminarian, but like they're not soldiers and they're not about to be able to take on the king of Syria. So now here's what happens on the ground. So that morning when the servants, so at night they surround them, and then when the servant in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning, maybe he's getting up to have his quiet time, make a cup of coffee. It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha, he said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Think about that. You go, how, how? Here it is, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way and this is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. We'll get picked back up in a minute. Isn't this an awesome story? So what's happening is that, is that the servant wakes up and he's very human like us. And he looks out and he sees an army surrounding him and he freaks out. So he goes to Elisha and Elisha is on a completely different wavelength. They're in the same city. They're looking at the same view. They have had the same experience, but one is panicked and full of fear. And Elisha is in absolute peace. And Elisha sees what the servant cannot see. How do you stand unshaken when you can't see clearly, when you cannot see God clearly? Let me give you a first thought here. It's always easy to be distracted by the enemy that we see. It's always easy to be distracted by the enemy that we see. The reaction of the servant is normal. He looks and he sees an enemy and he's scared. This is how most of us function. We function in the flesh. We function in the tangible. And we miss what Elisha lived and saw. And, and very much like the servant, we forget that there are unseen things. We forget that we ought to see with spiritual eyes. And so we look and we see and we're controlled by the enemy that we see. And so for, for some of you right now, you can picture the enemy right now. You have a person that you have pictured that you feel is like an army surrounding you. For some of you, it is an unexpected trial. It is an enemy that came out of nowhere and you're just like, how did this happen to us? For some of you, that enemy that you see is COVID-19. For others of you, it is the name of one of the people who is running for presidents. For others of you, it is a political party. For others of you, it is a church that has wounded you. For others of you, it is your own self. You look at yourself and all you see is like, I am such a loser. I'll never amount to much. My past has been so bad with sin. I can't, and this is all you see is what you see. And you're freaking out. See, fixing our eyes on what is visible will always lead to fear. If you're looking at, what, at the enemy that you can see, and, and the enemy's all around, we know the strategies of the evil one is to defeat us with what we see. And what we see in the flesh, what we see in the tangible, what we see in the world, 
will always lead us to fear. No wonder people are panicked about COVID. No wonder people are panicked when we turn on the news and we see a city burning down in the West and, and, and California burning down and, and Oregon burning down and Portland, the riots going on and Kenosha right here close to home. We're in Chicago and Kenosha is not even an hour away. No wonder we're panicked because the enemy has us. He's got his hand on our eyes and we're limited by what we see. We're much like the servant of Elisha. See, fixing our eyes on the enemy will always lead to paralyzing confusion. It was like a paralysis of this man. He couldn't move. He looked out and saw the enemy and he was stuck. That wasn't the way Elisha responded. See, fixing our eyes on the enemy is not where we're meant to live. I, I've just even sitting half an hour before this, I, it occurred to me, to, who is this servant? Who was it? This, do we know much about who the servant is? It's interesting because there's some commentaries when you put it in Google, and I don't know that we know, but some suggest that it's Jehazi. It's interesting to think about that. Jehazi was a famous servant. He's mentioned multiple times. In fact, he's mentioned in, 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 in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. We see uh, Jehazi mentioned when Elisha is with him when, he, uh, when the son of the Shunammite woman got sick. There was a miracle first that happened. The Shunammite was a woman who, who was hospitable to Elisha and his servant and opened the room for Elisha to stay every time he came in town. And she didn't have any kids. And Elisha gave her a prophecy that he would, she would have a child. This was a miracle. Jehazi watched that. He saw Elisha do this. And then later on, that son that was prophesied that he would be born was born and then grew up. And when he was dead, he had a headache and he ended up dying. I think he died. And, and she took him to Elisha dead. And, and Elisha, in front of Jehazi, heals the guy. Like So Jehazi sees Elisha raising a boy from the dead. And then later on, Naaman, the leader from Syria, had come to seek healing to Jehazi and, and to Elisha. And Elisha speaks, to, tells him, here's what you need to do to get healed. And, and so Jehazi, the servant, is watching this happen. And Elisha tells Naaman how to be healed. He tells him you need to go to the Jordan and dip yourself seven times. And Naaman struggles with that. And then he obeys. He says, so I'm going to go by faith. I'm going to dip myself in Jordan. Jehazi watches Naaman go. Naaman comes back, is overwhelmed. He's healed. He's so ecstatic. So Elisha's living these experiences of seeing God work. He's been anointed by God. Elisha, he'd left everything behind when Elijah came and, and chose Elisha and said, you're going to be, I'm going to train you to be the next prophet after me. Elisha left everything. He burned his farm down basically in order to follow God. It was like one of those, I'm fo I follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. So Elisha's hands are, you know, they're, he's like, off the plow, he's not looking back, his eyes are on Jesus, on the, are on the Lord, and he is following hard, he's anointed, he's chosen, and he's seeing God at work, and he's growing in his faith, and Elisha is like what we aspire to be. Now, Jehazi's watching this, but Jehazi's heart is divided. And so, so when Naaman gets healed and he comes back to Elisha, he says to Elisha, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm healed, I want to praise God, and he says, I want to give you a gift. Elisha says, I don't want a gift. This is a gift from God. God heals you. We don't get paid for that. And after Naaman leaves, Jehazi, and we're told in 2 Kings 5, goes after Naaman. And he says, uh, Naaman, he comes running after him. And Naaman stops. He says, what's up? And Jehazi's heart is revealed. He's split with a desire for things. And Jehazi says to, to Naaman, you know, my, 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 my master, Elisha, really he wanted to take a gift and didn't. And so Naaman gives money to Jehazi. And, uh, and the story is told in 2 Kings chapter 5 that, that Elisha knew about that because there's no secrets that Elisha didn't know. That was his gift, prophetic gift. And so Elisha confronts Jehazi. He says, where have you been, Jehazi? 
And she says, your, your servant went nowhere. And he says, did not my heart, Elisha says, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, all of orchards and vineyards? He rebukes Jehazi and Jehazi struck with leprosy. Now, later in 2 Kings chapter 8, we still see Jehazi having a, the timeline I'm not sure of. So the, the idea while we're talking about Jehazi is the idea that he might be the servant struggling here with fear is not that far-fetched. Because later in 2 Kings chapter 8, we hear about Jehazi again. So it may be that this was Jehazi. And I find it fascinating if it was because you wonder, and I've been meditating on this, what made Elisha and Jehazi so different? Why was one's eyes so fixed on the Lord while the other on the enemy? Because if we could just understand the process that Elisha lived and yield ourselves to that, he was single-minded in his devotion. He was not split apart. He did not love the things of the world. He did not hunger and, and, and lust for the things of the world. He did not strive for money and success and acceptance and the things that other people did. In fact, he was willing to live. There's many stories earlier on in 2 Kings chapter 2 where people laughed at Elijah and he was willing to suffer that in order to serve the Lord. So his eyes were on eternity. And so it, no wonder when the enemies around him, Elisha's eyes see the unseen, while Jehazi or whichever servant, let's say it's Jehazi or not, his eyes are on the enemy and he, the result is fear. What is it that you see in your life right now? I, I wrote, jotted down some things. We look at our life in the flesh and we see weakness. But when you look with godly eyes, when you look with eyes that see the unseen, God says in your weakness, he gives you his strength. Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That is our reality. He says there's what we see and there's our reality. There's what we see and then there's the reality. See, we don't see our reality because it's unseen, but the, the spiritual realm is the reality. And so we see, oh, I'm so ugly. I'm not good enough. I'm not, whatever it is that you carry, back of shame. And what God sees, the reality is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. We see our scale, our weight on the scale, and we, we're so frustrated. I can't ever be pretty enough. I'm never going to, whatever it is, maybe that's your struggle, maybe it's not. And God sees a reality where he loves you, not because of the outward appearance, but because of your heart. We see our reality, and we see, man, not enough. I don't have enough money. How am I going to pay my bills? I'm not, not worthy. Maybe you're a guy trying to, to support your family, and you just feel all you see is the financial mess that you're in. And God sees Philippians 4.19, that he will provide for every need of yours, according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We see, man, I'm so old. What could, God, what could God do in my life anymore? I've wasted so much time. And we see so much limit in our aging. And God sees that he's infinite, that a thousand years of the Lord is like a day, and a day like a thousand years. I mean, look at the life of Abraham and Moses. Moses didn't start serving God till he was 80. We see the enemy. But our reality is that we have an army surrounding us. So it's always easy to be distracted by the enemy that we see. If you want to be unshaken, you say, well, what do you do? Here's point number two. It's always, and here it is, this is the secret. It's always prayer that opens our eyes to the God that we cannot see. The reality of life is that there is an army of angels surrounding the enemy. So while the enemy looks like they're over, that he's got us in a noose, God is around him and stronger and has already gained the victory through the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. The enemy's already defeated. So while you might not always see that clearly, it's there. And so you go, well, how do I see clearly? Well, you do it just like Elisha did. In verse 17, the secret was this. Then Elisha prayed. It was prayer that opened the eyes of the servant. 
It was always prayer that opens our eyes to the God that we cannot see. If you're scratching your head and wondering, man, what was the difference with Elisha and the servant? Well, Elisha prayed. Prayer is, I've said it before, the language of the, of the believing. Prayer ought to be the thing that we're so well-versed in. Prayer is our way to connect God. If you feel like God is distant, if you feel like you just, I can't feel God's presence in my life, you got to evaluate your prayer life. Are you spending time in intimate communion with the Lord? That's how you'll see. Prayer, in fact, it's funny. You know what? He prayed, Elisha, for, Eli, for the servant. He didn't pray that the enemy be struck down. He, he did not pray that they would be saved from the disaster. He didn't pray for a vaccine over COVID-19, right? I mean, that would have been the logical thing to pray. Like there's an enemy, God, save us from this mess. God, defeat the enemy. I mean, we come up with a list of ways that God could get us out of the mess. And what he prays for is none of that. Then Elijah prayed and said, oh Lord, and here's his prayer, please open his eyes that he may see. See, prayer is not about getting what I want. It is about seeing who God is. Prayer is about seeing clearly that God has already won the victory, that the circumstance is secondary. See, we're so obsessed with the circumstance that even in our prayers, we're so focused on the circumstance that we never feel the freedom because all we are thinking about is how in the world is God going to get us out of it? But God his plan is so far different. He's already defeated the enemy. He's got a way out. He's doing a new thing. In Isaiah 43, we see that where, where they're struggling. And in the beginning of Isaiah 43, the people of Israel are encouraged. And God tells them how much he loves them. And they're still sort of wrestling with that. And how will Cyrus the king going to take over? And all of these things that are playing about. And at the end, God says to them in verse 18 of Isaiah 43, he says to them, Man, listen, don't look at what's past. I'm doing a new thing. Now you don't know it. But wait. Prayer is less about getting what I want, more about seeing who God is. Prayer is our greatest weapon against all that is unclear in our life. What is it that you can't see clearly right now? What is it that you just are struggling? You just see the enemy. You're so defeated. You can't. You're just, maybe you're, maybe you're homeschooling and, and you just, the enemy, it's like you cannot conjecture a life. Maybe you've been, your jobs have been furloughed. You're in a place you never thought you'd be. Things were going so smoothly and you just don't understand. Listen, prayer is your weapon to see what is unclear. Prayer is God's gift to help you stand strong no matter what. It's always prayer that opens our eyes to the God that we cannot see. You wonder why can't you see God's presence in your life? The question is how much time are you spending in prayer? You go, man, I don't have enough time. You, you, this is not a matter of having enough time. This is a matter of making the time. We cannot afford to fight the battles in our life. We cannot imagine making it. God will hold us. But if you want to make it, start crying out to God. Start taking time. Build it in. Wake up early. Do whatever you need to to start communion with God. Here's the third and last idea. It's always God who shows up for my help even when I cannot see him clearly. This is the theme of the scriptures. If you have not seen it by now in our series, Unshaken, then you're not listening, you're not watching. Listen, this is the theme 
We are an imperfect people. Every person who has ever been chosen by God is an imperfect person charging. Start all the way, I mean, Adam and Eve, of course, but starting with Abraham, when he called him to himself and he started sort of the story of the coming of a savior. Of course, this, the story of the coming of Jesus started before the world began, but, but I'm just saying, like, in the story of the Bible, there is not a perfect person in scripture except for the person of Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. Apart from that, we are imperfect people. So you cannot read the story and leave it beating yourself on the back. Oh, man, I can't see. Man, I can't see. Man, That is not the point of the story. The point is that God was already at work on behalf of the people of Israel. And he was at work on behalf of the servant who couldn't see, despite the fact that they were not faithful to God and that he, the people of Israel, not faithful to God. And the servant, let's say Jehazi, was not seeing clearly. God did not withhold his favor and his presence and his protection simply because they were faithless. You see, it's always God who shows up for my help even when I cannot see him clearly. God is faithful even when I'm faithless. God is able even when I'm not. And God is good even in the times when we feel we don't deserve it. Look, he's good. If you're in Christ, he's good. Well, first of all, he's good because he's good. That's who he is. But when you're his child and you're in Christ, now you have a love relationship with him. You are in a covenant, really an unconditional love relationship with him through the blood of Jesus Christ so that nothing can stand against that. You have a right to be called the son of God. In John 1 verse 12, it says that for as many as believed in him and received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. John says, behold, what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. Why am I saying you these verses? Because this is the truth. The truth of our story, if you're a child of God, if you've received Jesus into your heart, is that you are deeply loved by God and nothing, no amount of sin, no amount of past, no amount of shame can stand in the way of God's love for you. So here's how the story goes and we'll finish. As soon as they entered Samaria. So now again, the servant sees and Elisha sees and Elisha prays more. And he said, that's the praise that he sees. And then Elisha prays this prayer of blindness. And as soon as they entered into Samaria, that's in Israel, Elisha said, oh Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel, now the king of Israel, he's in Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? Elisha answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. This is the enemy. Does that ring a bell? Jesus speaking to us, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And listen here, look at this. You talk about the bigger picture. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Love changes everything. I, I just, I'm amazed by that. God does what is inconceivable. He first, he protects his people. Second, he overturns the enemy. But then in an act of absolute shock, Elisha pours love on the enemy and the people of Israel love on the enemy and there's peace in the land for a period of time. That's what love does. What do you see when you're looking 
at the trials in your life? Do you see the enemy or do you see the reality, God surrounding the enemy? When I, I, I jotted this down and, and I, I, I think it's worth thinking. As, as you think about your prayer life, has it ever occurred to you, today I was on a walk and I was thinking a bit about prayer and I was praying, God, would you do this? Would you do that? I was kind of going through some things and I stopped myself in the middle and I thought, how dare I? How dare I ask the God of the universe who blew and we made man, like out of the breath of his, like he, he, he blinks and he creates the world. How dare I? The audacity of ours to think that we could ask him. And yet God has made himself at our beck and call somehow through the mystery of Christ who died for us and made a way for us to the Father, God has asked us to ask him. He's told us to ask boldly and he's given us example after example so that he has put himself at our beck and call. This awesome God who could take us all out in a blink of his eye has asked us to ask him for what we need. That is unbelievable, inconceivable, that we serve a God who is that good. And that's worth meditating on as we close the lesson today. So, who is it that you see when you look and it, are you praying in your life that God would open your eyes to see? I think that is a prayer that is worthy to be prayed that God would simply open our eyes so that no matter what we're facing right now, our eyes would see the truth and not that the lies that the enemy has in front of our faces. 